Welcome to Culture Over Coffee, the Spartan Shields podcast where we talk about pop culture, new trends, and other news outside the PB School District over a cup of coffee. We're your hosts of this episode. I'm Cable Wager. And I'm Ryan Bates. In this modern era, there are many exciting events in the realm of space travel and the expansion of the human race. Joining us for discussion today is Mr. Spangenberg, our local physics expert. You know, uh, last week, the SLS rocket rolled out to launch uh, 39D for a countdown test at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. This massive rocket is the first key piece of the Artemis program. NASA is returning to the moon. Uh, for those of you who may not know, essentially, the Ar- uh, for the Artemis project, there will be a lunar orbiter called Gateway, which will remain in orbit around the moon for about a decade, and the Artemis lunar base. Uh, the human landing system, developed by commercial partners, will allow astronauts to travel back and forth between the gateway and the lunar base. And um, you may be asking, why the moon? But the more important question is, why Mars? Because going to the moon is just the first step in learning what we need to learn to then go to Mars. So, uh, Mr. Spangenberg, what what is so important about uh, becoming an interplanetary species? And the first step to that is Mars. But what's important about going to Mars? So, I would say first just, I mean, scientific exploration. Like, we like to, we as a species, like to learn everything we can about where we find ourselves in the cosmos. Um, you know, just to explore has kind of been our nature since we, you know, were us. Uh, we've always been exploring and that kind of thing. Uh, also, there's just, there's stuff that we can learn about our own history there. Um, so, I mean, just think about when we do geology here on Earth. Uh, we're learning about you know plate tectonics and fossils and old you know things that happened millions of years ago on Earth, billions of years ago on Earth, and so we'd like to continue that not only talking about Earth's geologic history but also just the solar system and the and the sun's you know, geologic and uh, possibly biologic history. Um, there's ideas that, you know hypotheses out there that life still exists on Mars. It's not going to be like penguins or anything, but it's bacteria yeah. probably uh, or at some point um, maybe not alive now but uh, in in the past at some point uh, so there might be fossilized uh, creatures uh, there that we could check out um, also just in terms of so the, there's the the exploration part the the scientific inquiry part we always like to know more and especially about our own history uh, but then also just the the drive to get there. You, you never know what com- is going to come out of that basic research. So I mean, the, the best example is the internet comes out of the space program. Scientists from all over the world needed to contact one another uh, in development of these complex machines to make it to the moon and whatever else, the International Space Station. And so they needed a way to, you know, instead of like Wells Fargo, the Wells Fargo wagon, like sending snail mail back and <laughs> forth. They wanted a way to send data, send documents back and forth to one another, uh, and ultimately that you know that evolved into what we now call the internet. So, did anyone think when they first started the space program that they were going to develop what we now know as the internet? No, but technology and really cool things that you know you can make the argument the internet's not so great, but <laughs> but things that better society usually uh, come out of basic research that you don't really intend. And so, in the process of going to Mars, 
so, you know, some people would make the argument like, well, it's a bunch of money and, you know, it's just, it's a waste, but it, it's really not because you never know what earthly development you can get out of the development of the technology necessary to get there. Yeah. So, uh, following that, we always have to ask at least one basic question in these. So, do you personally believe that there's life in the solar system or even on Mars? Um, all, like, currently living, probably not. Um, Mars is pretty inhospitable in terms of temperature, atmospheric density, um, but there's, there's lots of hypotheses out there that actually Mars and Earth were, were both very similar in the early days. So we don't exactly know what started life on Earth, or, or Mars for that matter, um, but presumably they were very similar in their, um, their chemical elements that they started out with, uh, inputs of energy from the sun, and you know, all sorts of little things. Uh, but because Mars is so much smaller than Earth, science of it, but uh, essentially it lost its, its, if it had it, it lost all of its water and atmosphere uh, billions of years ago, so any bacteria or anything that evolved on Mars at that time uh, is now no longer living. Now, in terms of, so you said on Mars or in the solar system, I don't think there's life on, current life on Mars, uh, but there's lots of candidates in our own solar system that have uh, possibilities. There's some moons of Jupiter, uh, Callisto, Ganymede, which have subsurface oceans, which could have, I mean, again, it's not penguins, it's probably bacteria. <laughs> uh, but the question really is, like, is life abundant? As in, is it really easy to, to get it going? Or is it more, more challenging? You have to have a million different variables in place perfectly right in order to get it going. And ultimately, I mean, for sure, there's life in the universe other than us, because it's like 63 improbable. Yeah. But the if we were to find life somewhere else in the solar system, that would like mathematically, statistically prove to us that like life is pretty common. Because if it developed spontaneously in two different spots in one solar system, then you know it's it's pretty likely. Yeah. Um. So. Obviously not everybody has to be a rocket scientist to observe space and the stuff going on around us. So as winter finally starts to end and nights get warmer, where are your favorite places to go to look uh, up at the sky and what are your favorite things to see? So uh, I, I'm, a mentor, I'm, a man, I'm a member of a couple of local amateur astronomy clubs, uh, the Quad Cities Astronomical Society and the Popular Astronomy GCIS and PAC. Uh, it's just a bunch of people with telescopes and they go, we have observatories out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I take students there all the time with our astronomy club. Um, next year when we start the astronomy class, uh, I'll, I'll take students out there. I'm really excited about that. So really just the observatories. Uh, there's the Menke Observatory, which is north of Dixon, Iowa, and then the Paul Castle Observatory, which is south of Milan. Um, so those are, I mean, I've been to those places a bunch. Um, what do I like to look at? Uh, and I mean, it's, it's open to anyone. Anyone who wants to come with me, like, more than welcome to. Um, but what do I like to look at? I mean, what, what isn't there cool to look 
Probably the so the Messier object, uh, M E S S I E R, translation Messier. Um, yeah, don't know that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> back in the day, there was this guy, it was like seventeen hundreds or something like that. Uh, Charles Messier. He was an astronomer, and it was very popular at the time to. It was very popular at the time to uh, to look for comets, like Halley's Comet, right? Like very popular. Like everyone was like, "Oh, Halley's, he's so cool," because like Halley's yeah. Comet. Right? So it was very popular to look for comets. So this guy like made this life mission to to like find comets, right? And I mean, in the age before computers, you do it the old-fashioned way. You point your telescope there. Nope, no comet there. <laughs> <laughs> no comet there. Right? Like, yeah. So like he just went out every night looking for comets, and. In the course of his life, he, oh, you know, a couple of decades, he found a bunch of things that were like, he described it as fuzzy, because I mean, telescopes at the time were, were very poor. So he just found things that, he made a list of like a hundred and some things, 120 or something like that, things that were not comets. <laughs> and so, like, they were just fuzzy things that he, he could tell they weren't planets, he could tell they weren't stars, he didn't know what they were, they were just fuzzy things in the sky, but. So he made this list of essentially where not to look for comets because there's stuff there that he doesn't know what it is. It's not a comet. Hundreds of years later, that list is like the best list of all time. Yeah. It's all the cool things. Yeah. So the stuff he couldn't really see were galaxies, gas clouds, uh, globular clusters, nebulas, like so all the stuff that we as amateur astronomers love to look at because it's the coolest stuff. He just made a list of all this stuff. He's like, ah, I don't care about this stuff. This is not a comet. <laughs> uh, so what's funny is he's well known for making this list, but not well known for the two or three comets he actually did discover. Messier object. Um, uh, what is your favorite resource to learn about space news? And where should listeners head if they want to know more? Uh, I mean, Sky and Telescope is a pretty good website um, and uh, magazine. They usually have like a they always do have a week at a glance. So you just go to skyontelescope.com uh, and they have like what's up in the sky this week, next week, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's usually a pretty good website to check out like um, things to look at. But then also they have you know interesting articles about space news and, and that kind of thing as well. Um, so that's probably my, my main go-to. Other, I mean, there's there's lots of really good like science news websites that you know, I should give you a large list, but um, in terms of like what to look for, honestly, just um, the like there's there's apps you can download that you you know you tap on your phone, you go hey look at that, and then you put your phone up there and like you find out what it is. Like the astronomy is one of those things where you just have to like try it. It starts by looking at the moon, right? Like, get get some binoculars, get a uh, telescope, look at the moon, check that out. Then look at some planets like Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, and then like as you kind of develop your ability to find stuff, then you get you do the Messier object. So, is your advice to students and everyone just to try it? Yeah. The the one downside of astronomy is that. You have to prepare to be underwhelmed <laughs> unless you have 
nowadays people are, you know, they think that they're going to buy a telescope and like get Hubble images, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? yeah. Like Hubble's like a billion dollar machine in space. And so the, like, I don't, if, if you're trying to get into astronomy, don't go to Walmart and get like the $50 telescope because you're never going to see anything. Um, there are telescopes for a couple hundred bucks that you could get on like uh, Celestron or, uh, or, or Orion uh, telescopes you can get. That will give you good views for sure, and I can give recommendations for those. Um, but if you really want to like do it without having much investment, uh, join one of the astronomy clubs, the, um, the PB astronomy club. Like I said, we, I take kids out all the time. Um, there's also the, the two local clubs. The one of them does monthly observing sessions at the Navi Zoo, sits in the parking lot. Uh, the other one also has public viewings at their observatory. And they're just, you know, people there with giant telescopes. They've already put the investment in for probably way too much money. But, uh, but and they love to show you a tour of the sky. So, like, if you're interested in it, you know, a, a lot of people's first instinct is to try to go buy a telescope. Um, but just like any any hobby, it, it is quite expensive to, to get a nice a nice version of the hobby. Uh, so before you do that, just go and explore and uh, um, take advantage of the people who, who uh, have a little bit more experience. Yeah. So for any students that want to get involved in astronomy, go talk to Mr. Stang. He'll send you in the right direction, and just look for resources online to learn more about these cool things happening in space. So thank you, Mr. Stangenberg, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Culture Over Coffee. Thanks, Alate, for listening. We'll be back soon with more tea.